You call yourself a Christian. If we were to gather evidence, would there be enough to convict you of this calling? We'll find out today on Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner. Greetings in Christ, and welcome to the broadcast. This is Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner from Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose. The message today basically looks at Luke chapter 6, verses 46, and we'll work our way towards 49 today. How can you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? It's a probing question that is applicable to you and I today. Oftentimes we call ourselves Christians, but Again, as I mentioned at the beginning of our broadcast, is there really enough evidence to convict us of that? That's the question we hope to answer today as we bring the mirror of God's Word to bear on our souls. Here's Pastor Gary Wagner with today's broadcast of Abounding Grace. The two passages of Scripture read today are Matthew and Luke's account of the conclusion of Jesus' great Sermon on the Mount, which we have been studying now for many, many weeks. Notice that Matthew's account is much longer than Luke's. It contains six distinct applications Jesus made in his closing remarks. In Matthew 5 through 7, Jesus lays down the basic principles of Christian living. And now in the last part of chapter 7, we hear Jesus confront his hearers with challenges to apply the things that he's been teaching them. Luke condenses all of this, blends, distills, rephrases, and in one great powerful stroke has one concluding application to the Sermon on the Mount. And in this outstanding condensed conclusion, there is a sentence that is the most searching sentence that ever came from the mouth of man or God. Jesus asked... Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? The sentence is simple enough. It's clear enough. It obviously searches, to some degree, everybody who hears it, no matter how hard they try to harden themselves against it. You can't resist the question. Even if you're an atheist... Even if you are determined, God is not going to come into your life. I guarantee you that my simply presenting this question today will to some degree penetrate whatever facade you may try to put up. The Lord said, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? Beloved, you can't escape its power. And you can't escape the point. Now over the next couple of Sundays, we're going to see the two great points that this question implies. First, today, true discipleship includes unqualified obedience to the word of Jesus. If you're going to call me Lord, if you are a Christian, you will do as I say, Jesus said. So, discipleship implies unqualified obedience to the word of Christ. 
And then the second point of this question, which makes it even more probing, is that deception concerning your spiritual status and standing with God is very possible in this life. These people profess Jesus as Lord. They assumed He was their Lord and Savior. They assumed themselves to be accepted with God. But they were deceived about their standing before God. And Jesus had to tell them, I never knew you. Depart from me. So there are the two great principles we're going to look at this week and next. Discipleship requires unqualified obedience to the word of Jesus. And deception concerning your spiritual state and your standing with God is very possible. Now, in order to examine both of those, I want you to look at an underlying emphasis, not only made in this conclusion, but throughout the Sermon on the Mount. And that is the way Jesus constantly focuses attention on himself. He's done it now throughout the Sermon on the Mount. Right at the beginning, he says, Blessed are you when men shall revile you and persecute you unjustly for my name's sake. And later in the first chapter, he says, My coming to earth means the confirmation of everything written in the Old Testament. And now here, as he concludes the Sermon on the Mount, he says, There is coming a day in which people will come to say to me, Lord, Lord, and the word Lord in the Greek here is the word for the Hebrew, Jehovah. He says, There will be people calling me, and rightfully so, Jehovah, the God of the Old Testament, the creator of the world. And moreover, I'm going to be the judge before whom someday every nation and every person will stand and have to give an account of himself. And then at the very conclusion, he says, your eternal destiny depends on what you do with me. You build your life upon me as its foundation, and you will be able to withstand anything that happens in life. If you refuse to build your life upon me and my teaching, then the winds of life will sweep you out to sea. So you see, throughout the Sermon on the Mount, Christ doesn't just give us a bunch of rules and regulations and moral sophisms. But the point is to establish between himself and his hearers a personal, intimate relationship. Because all of the teachings and all of the rules about life in his kingdom given to us in the Sermon on the Mount are of no value unless a person is rightly related to the Lord Jesus Christ. If you are a true disciple of Jesus Christ, then you will give him unqualified obedience because of that relationship you have with him. And if that relationship with him is not real, and it is not true, then you will be deceived about your true spiritual condition and your standing before God. You see, everything in this conclusion is focused on getting people to evaluate themselves in relation to Jesus. What the nature of that relationship is. Because, beloved, that is the heart and the soul of Christianity. It is the focus of the gospel. Christianity is not first and foremost doing the right things, going through the right motions, carrying out the right rituals, believing the right doctrines. Christianity is all of those things. 
But at heart, Christianity is a personal relationship with Jesus Christ that you're conscious of and that you experience every day of your life. Out of which the right actions and right doctrine and right behavior flow. And if that relationship with Christ is not there or out of whack or broken, then all of these other things mean absolutely nothing until it is fixed in the heart. Let's look at a couple of passages to bear this out. One is a very familiar passage in the New Testament, and one is a rather obscure but beautiful passage in the Old Testament that tell us something about this fellowship, this personal relationship, this intimate communion that a true Christian has with Jesus Christ by grace through faith. The first passage is found in 1 John chapter 1, 3. That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you, that ye also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Now, there you have a clear statement that the gospel was revealed so that we might have fellowship, not only with each other, but with God and Christ himself. Now that word fellowship means intimate participation, a relationship, involvement in each other's lives, where you share one another's lives and each other's love. The reason the gospel was given and the great effect of embracing the gospel is this personal relationship that we have with Christ. We speak about the unity we have in the church of Christ. We speak of the communion of the saints and the fellowship that Christians have with one another. And all of that is possible only because we have an intimate, personal relationship with Jesus Christ. As friend with friend. As lover and beloved. Every day of our lives. That is the root. That is the core that is the focus. That is the heart of the Christian life. And then out of that relationship comes unqualified obedience to his word. Out of that relationship comes protection against self-delusion and deception about your own spiritual condition. Now, let's turn to that passage that's not often quoted. And I seldom quote it myself, but it comes from a very beautiful book. I'm talking about the Song of Solomon. There are two levels of story being told in the Song of Solomon, and I hope you appreciate both of those stories. It reads similar to a play, for there are a great many quotations, and you've got to keep up with who is saying what when. But basically, it is a love story. It's very romantic. And in fact, if the Hebrew were translated literally rather than how it is in our English versions, the Song of Solomon would probably have to be wrapped in a brown paper bag and have a, at least an R rating on it because it is explicit and it is sensual in the Hebrew. It is a love story between a groom and his bride. And throughout the story, the groom tells the bride what he loves about her and how much he enjoys her. And she always responds by telling him what she enjoys about him and how she delights in him and tells him of her love for him. 
The second level is a love story between Christ and the church, which is the love that a husband is to exhibit to his wife according to Ephesians 5. We're going to take a look at this second level. Because I want you to see this love story between a groom and his bride as picturing the intimate relationship of fellowship and communion that Christ has with us, his disciples. And I believe when we look at this vital union that we have with God in terms of the romance between a lover and his beloved, it will become something more precious to us than simply some isolated theological doctrine. And the text I want to use in Song of Solomon is chapter 2, verses 1 through 6. Let me tell you who is talking so you can get the gist of this play. In verse 1 and 2, the groom is talking, and that is Christ, about himself and his bride. Then in verses 3 through 6, the bride is talking about the groom. And here's the groom speaking in verses 1 and 2. I am the rose of Sharon and the lily of the valley. As the lily lily among thorns, so is my love among the daughters. Now the bride speaks. As the apple tree among the trees of the wood, so is my beloved among the sons, or young men. I sat down under his shadow with great delight, and his fruit was sweet to my taste. He brought me to the banqueting house, and his banner over me was love. Stay me with raisin cakes, comfort me with apples, for I am love sick. His hand is under my head, and his right hand doth embrace me. Now the reason I read this is because it pictures the relationship a Christian has with Christ, which again is the root and the heart of the entire Christian life. And without that relationship, you are not a Christian No matter what else you may do right. First of all, notice what the groom says about himself. Or what the Lord Jesus Christ says about himself. He says, I am the rose of Sharon and the lily of the valley. Now, beloved, that's two of the most beautiful flowers in that part of the world. Jesus is comparing himself now to everything that is glorious and beautiful in all of creation. Saying to us that I am as glorious as these and infinitely more so. Nothing in all of creation can compare to the excellency and the glory and the beauty of my person, says the Lord Jesus Christ. Moreover, in verse 2, he says, concerning his bride, like a lily among the thorns, so is my darling among the nations. My bride, the church, is very beautiful to me. I love her. I cherish her. The thing I delight in is the intimate communion and fellowship I have with her. I love to share things with her and love her to share things with me. I love to show her my love and I delight when she returns that love and affection to me. That is the Lord Jesus Christ talking to us, beloved. Now the bride describes in verse 3 and 6 what she thinks of Christ and what the relationship she has with him means to her. The church. She said, first of all, like an apple tree among the trees of the forest, so is my beloved among the young men. In his shade I take great delight, and set down in his fruit was sweet to my taste. The bride is saying here, There is nothing in all the world that compares to the Lord Jesus Christ, my groom. 
There's nothing I love more. There's nothing I take more delight in. There's nothing I desire more. There is nothing that is more glorious or attractive to me than the Lord Jesus Christ. He stands out like an apple tree with all of its fruit in the midst of a forest. Can you imagine... In fact, I'm going up to the Sierras tomorrow. But can you imagine driving through Sierra Nevada forest full of pine and birch trees? And then all of a sudden coming up upon an apple tree loaded down with fruit. That would actually look something like Ann Coulter showing up in a room full of Ruth Bader Ginsburg's and Hillary Clinton's. There is no comparison, beloved. And that is what the bride here is saying about the groom. There is no comparison. Jesus, to me, is an apple tree compared to all the other fruitless trees. He stands out in my life. There's nothing in all of life that I love or desire more than Him. There is nothing I take delight in more than sweet fellowship and communion with Him. I feed and nurture myself on Him, and I rest in the shade of his love. Verse 4. He has brought me to his banquet hall and his banner over me is love. Fellowship with my groom. The Lord Jesus Christ is like a delicious banquet full of all kinds of good food. It's something you just give yourself to and enjoy it and not worry. But have a grand time of delight and pleasure in his love. Also, this fellowship with Jesus says the Christian is like a delicious banquet and his banner over me is love. Now, if you've ever been to London, England and the Windsor Castle, you probably know that you can tell when the queen is home because her flag or banner is flying over the castle. If her banner is not flying, there's no sense, beloved, in trying to stop by and have a spot of tea with her. But if the banner is flying, you know that your host is there. And the bride says, his banner over me is love. On this castle of our relationship, his banner is flying. The groom is home. The host is there. The king is present in his castle. And the banner that hangs over his castle that gives proof of his presence is love for me, she says. And as long as that banner flies over this relationship, as long as the groom is with his bride, day by day there is security and there is protection and there is satisfaction and there is indeed joy. And there a weary soul finds strength and comfort to live through the difficulties of life. Verse 5. Sustain me with raisin cakes. Refresh me with apples because I am love sick. On this banquet table, there are all kinds of things. They aren't all necessarily good for you, but you enjoy eating them because they are pleasure. Raisin cakes, fine apple pies. Now, I don't know about you, but when I think of, about apples, I think about Krista's delicious apple pie, and I don't ever think about just apples. But the point is, This relationship with Christ is not a boring thing. It is a delightful and enjoyable thing that brings great pleasure. And some of you may take great pleasure in just apples. I don't. And here the bride says, I am just lovesick. Have you ever been lovesick? 
I mean, she's all you can think about. As long as you aren't with her, you, you just can't be happy. You can't think of anything else. Here it says the Christian is lovesick for Jesus. The Christian just can't stop thinking about Jesus. He loves to be in Christ's presence, and he's only happy when the Lord is lavishing his love and affection upon him. And now verse 6. Let his left hand be under my head, and his right hand embrace me. Here you have a lover's embrace. The left hand is under her head, supporting her and encouraging her, while the right hand is around her, embracing her in love and affection. Here the Christian is saying that every day of his life, the Lord Jesus Christ kisses him. Every day of his life, the Lord Jesus Christ lavishes his affection upon him. Every day of his life, Jesus has his left hand under his head and his right hand around him, holding him tightly to himself, loving him, keeping him safe, fulfilling his life. Now that is what I'm talking about when I talk about this focus that Christ places on himself. It's not self-centeredness, beloved. Because he wants us to understand that without that basic relationship between the groom and the bride, that intimate relationship of love and affection that a Christian experiences every day of his life, there is no Christianity at all. Now I ask you, do you have such a relationship with Jesus Christ. As I read the Song of Solomon, chapter 1, verses 1 through 6, did the language of those verses seem foreign to the experience you have in your Christian walk? Did it just sound syrupy and mushy and a little extreme? Or can you truly say to yourself, yes, sir, that is the way it is in my life. I love to live with Jesus every day. Please, beloved, be honest before God with yourself. Do you have that kind of fellowship with Jesus Christ that the Bible describes in the Song of Solomon? Beloved, that is the root from which everything else grows in the Christian's life. You say, no, sir, but I want it. So I better get busy doing things. I better start reading the Bible more. I better start going to all the church's studies. I, I better start praying more. I better give more money. I better... No, that's not the way it happens. You can't do enough things to get this relationship going in your life. You don't even deserve it. There's nothing you can do to establish it. It's yours only. By recognizing that you have nothing to bring to this relationship with God. Now, whenever I do premarital counseling, sometime during the process I ask, what are you bringing to this relationship? You are to fill one another's lives. So what strength are you bringing to fill the weaknesses of the other person? Well, beloved, if you are going to have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, you have to understand from the start, I can bring nothing to this relationship. It's not like any human relationship. 
I have nothing to contribute. There's nothing in my hands I bring. Simply to the cross I cling. There is not enough goodness I can do to form this relationship. You first recognize that you have nothing to contribute and you cast yourself totally and completely upon Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And then you rest alone upon Him for salvation the rest of your life. Because that relationship that the Song of Solomon describes is entered into only by faith. Sheer faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And yet anyone who wants that kind of relationship can have it the moment they confess, there is nothing I have to bring this to this relationship. I rest upon Christ alone for my salvation. Well, this has been Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner from Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose. As we have closed out our time together today, I would remind you that our desire is to know how this program encourages you in Christ. Now, there are a couple of three ways that you can contact us to provide us with this information. And again, it would really encourage us a great deal if you'd take a moment and let us know how the program is encouraging you in your walk and relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Here's how to contact us. Phone number is 408-866-5607. That's 408-866-5607. Our website, where you can drop us an email and even learn a bit more about us, is reformedheritage.org. And then, of course, you can write to us at PMB, that stands for Post Mailbox, number 402-1484 Pollard Road, Los Gatos, California. The zip code is 95032. Now, there is another way you can contact us, and this would be the best of all, especially if you're not involved in a church at this time. Plan on visiting. Let us uh, fellowship face-to-face, as it were. We meet at Lone Hill Church 2 in the afternoon on Sundays at 5055 Lone Hill Road in Los Gatos. Directions can be found at our website, reformedheritage.org, or by calling 408-866-5607. By the way, copies of the broadcast are just $5. Mention today's date when you contact us, and we'll get a CD out to you right away. Thank you for joining us today. Until next time, God bless. Mm